put that coffee down. Coffee is for creators only. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm inviting you to an exclusive accountability program that will help you set and achieve your creative goals. It costs nothing but your time and patience. Go to coffeeisforcreators.com to learn more. It's the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. What is it about this crazy mass of metal tubing that makes us laugh, cry, want to flat out quit at times, and then keep coming back for more? My name is James Newcomb, and I am thrilled to host this show that brings on world-famous, not-famous, and everything-in-between trumpeters to share what keeps the trumpet blowing and the music flowing. It's the Trumpet Dynamics Podcast, and it begins now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is James Newcomb. Thanks for pressing play on the show. And I'm here with Sarah Herbert. She is the professor, not just the visiting professor, but she is the professor of trumpet at Western Kentucky University. And that's located in Western Kentucky. And this is her, in her words, kind of interesting story, but this is her third consecutive first year job as a professor at and I have to explain this because yep. prior to taking, <laughs> prior to beginning her, uh, this gig, I guess it was probably last fall, uh, she was a visiting professor at University of Wyoming. So not like an action, not like a real professor. Like you say, you're not a real doctor. Right. She wasn't a real professor. <laughs> she was a visiting professor. But now she's a resident professor at WKU. And she took the gig, and wouldn't you know it, this little thing called COVID that you may have heard of, this little virus that uh, basically shut down the entire world for uh, about a year, that hit, and that was that defined her first year as a as a, a full time professor at Western Kentucky. And now that things have, it seems they have opened up. We hope more or less for good here in uh, the fall of twenty one. Fingers crossed. Uh, she is finally experiencing college life as it was meant to be, sans COVID. So that is the story of Sarah Herbert, and welcome. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And I'm just going to try to just forget that I wasn't, that I forgot to press record on this wonderful content that we were having. We just had this really cool little discussion about niches and trumpets and ponds and little ponds called trumpets and, and big and, uh, fish in it the was fun pond. it was it was a fun conversation and i'm kicking myself for not pressing record but it is what it is but um i want to i want to definitely revisit that that topic and i know that you have some projects you have a guitar quartet and trumpet piece that you're commissioning so we're, of course we're going to get into that but none of this would be possible sarah if we didn't start at the very beginning so t- take us to that moment that you decided, I think I'm going to give this massive metal tubing with three buttons a try. Yes. Let's start at the very beginning, like in The Sound of Music with Do Which right? we all know is a very good place to start. Oh, yes. It sure is. <laughs> good. I was Maria in The Sound of Music. So maybe really? that. Yes. What? Fifth, fifth grade Sarah was wow. Maria. 
And um, so I, I know every word to every song. And um, <laughs> and I think really that that started my musical career. If you really want to go back. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was back in the day when they had cassette tapes. And the, the choir director had the cassette tapes all lined up for each song. And somehow she got them mixed up. So the opening of Sound of Music that has the big solo, the Sound of Music, um, yeah. She, yeah. Skipped, she skipped over it. And it was probably one of the most devastating things in my life. And <laughs> so, yeah. Why did she skip over it? She just got the tapes mixed up. Because oh. back then, technology was, you know, I yeah. mean, it's a tape recorder. You have you have to keep them in order and press play. Okay. It was okay. it was hard, I guess. Oh, but I was devastated. Um, yeah. But it was at the end of the play though. She did an encore, and I got to come out and sing it. And she apologized. So you know, but maybe deep down inside, I was like, you know, I think I would just want to play trumpet. So then <laughs> I don't have to miss my big my big singing. Debut. So it's either Maria or trumpet. I guess huh. it came down to that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I started playing trumpet because, um, I think like a lot of people, um, you know, I had a family member who inspired me. My dad, uh, played trumpet and he played trumpet in high school band, uh, nothing, nothing crazy, but he had a trumpet around the house. Um, so he wasn't a professional or anything, but, um, but he had the trumpet around and I remember pulling it out as a little girl and trying to play it. And, um, you know, when sixth grade band came along, it was, uh, you know, that was the first instrument that popped into my mind, you know? And, and so I said, ah, I want to play that. And my dad has a, has a trumpet, so might as well, you know, give it a try. And I don't know, I've, I've kind of thought, this is a question you get asked a lot, you know, how, why did you start? How did you start? And, I don't have like the greatest story, but I do really remember hearing the trumpet for the first time. And it was a really dumb kind of thing. Like it was, you know, the sixth grade band was playing Jurassic Park, you know, and the <laughs> Jurassic Park theme, yeah. you know, trumpets player, play yeah. it really, yeah, you yeah. know, and I remember yeah. thinking, oh, that sounds so cool. And everybody can hear that sound. And I was a really shy little girl. So I think that maybe the the sound of the loud the loudness and the presence of the trumpet I was really drawn to because it was completely the opposite of my personality, and uh, you know I think that's that's been something I've like you know wrestled with my whole trumpet life. You know, I can relate to that. You know, personally, not I don't really? like to inject my own personality into the show, but uh, I, but but you say that and I can relate to that because I was. My running joke is that I was voted most likely to be mistaken for a corpse in high school. I mean, I was shy, awkward, doesn't even begin to s describe my persona in high school. But when I got that horn in my face, man, first chair in the Allstate band, I was the man. And that's what gave me that security and that it, it was just really gave me that boost of confidence that I really needed. So yeah. I can definitely relate to that. It was it was a voice that called to me, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, in a way to way to express myself. So, what was the first time that you were like blown away by the track? Could be a recording, like or in person, but you're like, I can't believe that's even possible. I think probably the first time that that really, really, really happened was when I was in high school and I went to 
um, a jazz workshop in Newport, Oregon. And back then they had a jazz festival in Newport that was going on there. And that year at the end of the um, high school jazz festival I went to, um, we all went to the actual like jazz festival, you know, and Arturo Sandoval was the headliner that year. And I remember standing at the back of the tent and watching him and listening to him for the first time and just going, <laughs> oh, my, like just jaw drop. Like I couldn't even speak, <laughs> you know, I just I couldn't even speak. I had no idea that the trumpet could do that, you know, and uh, that that was that was quite a moment. Arturo can still play and, and it's mm-hmm. not a discredit at all to him, but he's he is up there in years and but he can still belt it out. Kind of oh, like yeah. Doc Severinsen, not necessarily in his prime, but he can still <laughs> got to hand it to the man I know, to, to be able to play like that when he's 90, 91 years old. But that had to have been when Arturo was probably close to being in his prime. Oh, and yeah. Yes. Wow. That had to have been spectacular. Yeah. I remember waiting backstage for to get his autograph and uh, and he, he wouldn't come out until until he'd done his warm down. So we all waited, we all stood there like waiting and listening to him. (laughs) And then, you know, he came out and signed my, signed my CD, you know, back when you had CDs and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) They still store, some people still have CDs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They're still useful in some ways. It's still okay. It's still cool, right? Depends on who you ask. Depends Mm -hmm. on which pond you're swimming in. That's true. <laughs> That's so you're, true. So were you like the nerdy kid in high school that played with the, the, in the band, like the band nerd? Oh, yeah. I was a huge nerd. Okay. Huge nerd. All my Are you friends still were, a nerd? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Okay. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So are the people that listen to this. So You know, I think we all have that in common. <laughs> that's why we're listening to this. When did you decide, I'm going to do more than high school like high school is it's one thing that's kind of like a hobby it's something that you're really you're passionate about it but when did you want to take it to the next level like maybe study it in school maybe make it a profession when did that occur I'd say probably around my junior senior year of high school I was very very fortunate to have a wonderful wonderful high school band experience um my high school band director was fantastic, and uh, he was a uh, actually a, a jazz drummer who was really you know playing a lot in the Portland jazz scene and really plugged in there. and uh, And he he had us all in a jazz band uh, at the high school, and and we were, you know, we thought we were pretty hot, you know, and and doing doing all this stuff and winning competitions and um, just feeling really inspired and. Um, you know, it was it was a really remarkable group of students that I went to school with at the time. Um, I remember my my junior year, the seniors that year, maybe it was uh, it, it was something somewhere in there. Some of the upperclassmen um, went on to school and went uh, went to music school, and one of them went to USC, and he's since become this f- phenomenal jazz pianist and um he's played with frank zappa and he's won a grammy and all this crazy stuff and um you know and another guy has gone to boston university and become a a big deal you know bass player and um 
there's there's been uh, also from that same program, uh, there's this girl named Haley Nicewanger, who's a saxophonist, and she lived and gigged in New York for years. And I mean, so there's just, you know, all these, you know, students who are very, very committed um, to to playing at a very high level in that band um, is kind of like a little hot spot. And um, so I was very inspired by that. And, you know, I'd watch my upper class classmates, you know, go off and take an audition for a major music school. And I I'd hear about it and I would just go, Oh, I want to do that. You know, that's what I want to do. And um, so I started studying with, um, with a trumpet player who, uh, who is still, still out in Portland, uh, Dave Bamante. And he is the, he plays for the Oregon symphony and he kind of took me under his wing and I was pretty clueless. And so he, he started saying things like, okay, you need to audition for, you know, music schools, you know, and here's, here's the Charlie and here's the, you know, let's play some Leonore and here's some stuff, you know, you got to learn all this stuff, you know? And, uh, and he sent me off to, I mean, he basically just told me, okay, you're going to apply at IU and you're going to apply, you know, North Texas. And, you know, and so I went, went off and, auditioned and um before I knew it I was you know an undergrad in music school and half of me and at IU at IU at IU yes yeah. yeah yeah what made you choose IU or maybe the process chose IU for you but how did that turn come about well I remember going out there to visit and uh that was back in the day where where I was so I was so dumb and oblivious that it really worked in my favor because I just went in there and like tore the doors down because I had no idea. I just played, you know, I wasn't nervous. I didn't know who I was playing for. I had no idea that, you know, Ed Cord and Marie Speciali were in the room. I had no idea, you know, it was like, oh, they're just some old people. I'll play for them, whatever, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like, I, I often like try to go back to that moment of complete, pure, bliss of playing because I, I just, I had no idea and I just played and I played well. And for, I guess for a high school kid, you know, and so I, I got in and, and I, I really, I really liked the feel of the campus. I, I got lessons right away and I was feeling, feeling like it was a good place to be. So that's interesting yeah. how you bring that up because that's like that Holy grail that we all seek as performers is just that, that feeling of, I just don't care. I don't care who's in the audience. It's almost like you're not aware of mm -hmm. the pitfalls that 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 maybe that maybe ahead of you. How did that change, or did that change at all once you started school? Did you, did you become aware? Was it a struggle to? Uh, oh yeah. F find your nerves after that. Oh yeah, that was probably huh. the last the last moment of of true bliss. <laughs> you know. Really. Um, really? like, well, then I showed up, you know, on campus and you, you know, you go into a practice room and there's, you know, the practice, the room on that third floor is filled with brass players. And as soon as you get in there, you hear somebody on either side of you playing amazing. And you just, and as soon as I heard that, I was like, I'm in the wrong place. Wow. You know, and I had that whole, like first couple of week anxiety about, about that. And, you know, and it was hard. It was hard to, to get my footing, I think, because I, I hadn't realized what I'd gotten myself into and I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, mm. uh, which was good and bad at the same time. It was, mm. it was motivating, but it was also 
very overwhelming at first. That environment, being in a practice room, is a performance in and of itself. It sure felt like because it. You, well, yeah. I mean, you're a, you know that people can hear. Right. And they're not going to acknowledge it. They're not going to look into your room, into the peer into that little window and look at you. But they're looking and they know who it is. And it's a performance in and of itself. It is, unfortunately. It's it's easy, so easy to get inside your head about it, too. Hmm. I, I mean, if, if there are any trumpet professors that have worked with me before that are ever listened to this, they're probably laughing in their head thinking, oh yeah, Sarah, she, I, I mean, I, I really have, have struggled with, you know, being in my head too much. And, you know, it's something that I've, I've really had to think about and study and, and, and come to grips with to, to keep this as a career for better or worse. You put yourself in an environment where people, and, and I'm just saying this and, and, and again to bring my own a personal anecdote into the conversation, but I live in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I don't live on the beach. I did at one time, but I don't now. But just this past Friday, I took, I had a little bit of time and I was picking up my boy from the bus stop and I had about an hour. And I just sat on a bench right on the boardwalk in Virginia Beach and I just pulled out my horn and I just played some things. I played Someone to Watch Over Me, the Carnival of Venice. I didn't play it. I didn't play him exceptionally well because I wasn't in, in, in the best shape. But it's amazing how different. It's just completely different vibe to play these things that I play all the time. Just people passing by. And they don't, they're not musicians. They don't care. They, they're, they're enjoying it, but it completely changes the dynamic playing for people, even in a loose environment like that. I started doing that in airports when I was traveling a lot. I used to be really reluctant to do that, but I finally just got to the point, like when I, especially when I started doing um, college interviews <laughs> and, and I knew that I had to have, you know, FaceTime and, you know, I'd be sitting in an airport for you know, whatever long layover or delay. And I was like, you know what? I just can't waste time. You know, I'm just going to go. I just go find a spot, put in my practice mute and just play. It, it was very kind of. It's unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just did it. And it, you know, and it was easier than I thought. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, then there'd be some, some guy with a guitar case walking by who'd like give you the nod, you know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> You're like, he's criticizing me. I missed a note. It's a guitar player. <laughs> yeah, what do they know? <laughs> Freaking drummer. Exactly. Doesn't even know a pitch when it hits him in the head. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned that you, ha- you have a, a new commission, trumpet and guitar quartet. I do. Now that is something that we don't hear that much about ever. So I'm very curious about this. Actually, this is uh, a project and a collaboration that I've been working on for several years now, and I'm heading into what I feel like is the second stage of the project. So uh, it, it goes back to my uh, my project during my doctor- doctorate, uh, which is at the University of Cincinnati, um, CCM. And uh, the, the project that I did for my degree there was to commission 
uh, new pieces for a guitar quartet and trumpet which is this new collabor- kind of collaboration of chamber music that I came up with along with a composer that I work very closely with now. And um, it, it really kind of stemmed out of, I, I wanted a piece for my recital. And so I contacted uh, this uh, friend of mine who I'd worked with in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's been kind of a mentor and, uh, and he's, he's now retired, but, uh, you know, he, he's a wonderful writer and he's a flamenco guitarist as well. And he said, well, let me, let me try writing you a piece for your recital. He comes back with this piece that's written for guitar quartet and trumpet. And he said, I came up with this idea, you know, because the trumpet is so loud. I thought just one guitar is not going to stand up to it. So what, you know, what about the the guitar quartet? And here's, and he writes this piece, you know, so I, the wheels start turning and, and uh, I, I ended up uh, using the piece to write a grant, um, was able to win the presser award uh, that year, which allowed me uh, some funding to start really, you know, taking this on the road and, and going with it. So I, I commissioned two other pieces for the same instrumentation uh, by two other composers. And uh, so those three pieces exist and we've done some uh, recording of it and performance of it. Um, We performed at uh, the International Trumpet Guild uh, New Works recital several years ago. And then uh, another performance at the, uh, the Women's Brass Conference. So now we're, you know, we've experimented enough with this combination that it's feeling like, you know, all right, this is a genre that could take really take on a new form. And it's, we're not just experimenting anymore. We want to, you know, really try to codify this as, you know, a a concept as an idiom. Um, And so the next idea that uh, the composer, whose name is John Truitt, by the way, he's a native New Mexican. He lives in Albuquerque. Um, so he, his, his new brilliant idea is to, to take the guitar quartet and trumpet and, uh, and add a string orchestra to it. So this is going to be, uh, a little broader, you know, uh, scheme and, uh, a, a bigger challenge, but, um, he, we've already kind of got the, the outline of the work and, and um, he's written two movements of it already. Uh, it's going to be a really, really brilliant piece. I'm very excited about it and where it's going to take this project. So it's, you know, I feel like we're in the early stages here too, because there's so much I want to, I want to do with it. And I'm, you know, looking for grants to start writing and, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, to fund the project and give it wings. But uh you know, I could I could tell you a little more about, you know, about what the piece is about. All right. Let's do that, Sarah. But before we do that, I want to know if it's possible to play a little bit of maybe a short clip of one of these pieces and we can get an idea of what it sounds like and then we can discuss it further. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so tell us what we're going to hear. The first piece I think I'll, uh, I'll have you listen to is it's a piece called Concertino Principesa. And this one is by uh, Mark Anthony Cruz, and he is a guitarist and uh, professor of guitar at Texas State University in San Marcos. Um, and this piece is uh, has a lot of kind of classical uh, influence, lyrical, melodic writing, 
it's a two movement work. Um, it's it's absolutely just beautiful writing though. It's 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 really um, it, it was wonderful to put together and just the melodies that he came up with for the uh, for the trumpet and how the guitar uh, you know fits with it was just lovely and and very natural writing. Um, that'll be the the first the first clip. Well, let's listen to the concertino Prinzo Pesa by Mark Anthony Cruz. That is no walk in the park for the trumpet part. My goodness. He, he, he wrote some stuff that was very, 
you know, in the upper register. And so, you know, playing and playing it softly, you know, a guitar dynamic, you know, not overpowering them. And it seems like the trumpet repertoire just in general has become a little more, a little more finesse Mm -hmm. than say the, like the so-called golden age of the fifties and sixties and the Maynard Ferguson and Doc Severinsen, it really had that, uh, that, that reputation, I would say, of being just this brash, loud. But you see, these days, the pieces that are written that feature the trumpet in the way that this piece featured it, a lot more finesse is required. You can't just be a, a blowhard and you can't make your living that way anymore. Yeah, I agree. It's a different, a different approach and a different, different type of playing most wonderful things about the collaboration though too was to get to work with guitar players and and experience and see how they think about music differently and that that was so inspiring what's different about them i guess just like being able to see what see what they're doing to create the sound on their instrument was just this very visceral thing and so it it just inspires you when you're playing an instrument that doesn't have that kind of something to watch, you know, while, while the music is being produced, it gives you this whole new energy to create that maybe, you know, just kind of the gestures, you know, of, of how they do vibrato or how they would end a phrase, you know, it's very kind of dramatic and very almost like a dancer. And I don't know, it just, it really, really inspired me and kind of, got some of this music, made it come to life for me when I was working with them. It seems like having more than one note playing at the same time, that would really mess with your head. I don't know. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> well, it sounds like it had a positive yeah. effect on you. But you said that you have another clip that you want to share with us. Yeah, this second one is, um, this piece is called Fin de Fiesta. And uh, this is by, the composer's name is John Truitt. And he is a, a native New Mexican. He lives in Albuquerque. Uh, and he's a, a flamenco guitarist himself. So another guitarist. Um, but he also is, uh, he plays saxophone and <laughs> very, very well. And he's been a jazz musician for years. So he has a very eclectic background. But um, he, he's for a long time been involved with the Flamenco Institute in um, in New Mexico there. And and uh worked with them and played for the dancers. So he, he had a real like breadth of knowledge, you know, of the flamenco and classical styles and kind of bridged them together for this piece. Um, so this is uh, called Fin de Fiesta. Um, I think I'll play um, the second movement, which is, which I, I learned a lot about, about like the, the compas and the rhythm and the, um, you know, just the intensity of this style of music with this piece. Uh, So it's got a bolero in it. All right, great. A little bit. It's very intense and it was very challenging to count. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Fiend de Fiesta by John Truitt. Let's hear it.
So, as I was saying, finesse. Yes. That was a live recording of oh, okay. the performance at, um, at ITG uh, back in 2017. So, wow. you know, it's, it's not perfect, but, you know, that such is live music. Um, sure. I enjoyed the energy of it. You know, that, that performance really helped the piece come to life, I think, in a lot of ways. Was that the, the concertino that we also listened to? Is that live as well? That one was a recording we did. Uh, it was a studio recording. Wow, that's wonderful. My goodness. Well, I mean, I guess you don't, you, once you hear them paired together, it sort of makes sense. But you'd never guess that a gar- guitar quartet and trumpet could be paired together. But as we just heard, it worked really well. Yeah. It And, you know, as you can imagine, there were many challenges putting those two instruments together um, just based on the sheer, you know, volume levels that each instrument, you know, naturally produces. Um, so we had to look into a lot of uh, you know, just ways of um, lightly miking and amplifying the guitars. Um, so what you heard for that performance was just a light amplification of the guitarists. And that's what we do, you know, for uh, for the live performance. Of course, um, you know, in the studio, we can, you know, get a, a better balance, which which is really nice. But uh, but it's it's a really fascinating thing because, you know, the the guitar quartet is maybe the one thing that can, you know, that can really it can really stand up to a trumpet, you know, um, but it puts guitarists out of their comfort zone because they like to play very soft, you know, in a lot of ways. Wait, wait, wait. You mean classical guitarists? Classic, thank you. Because I know plenty of guitarists <laughs> who uh, qu- quiet is not in their vocabulary. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <So>. Classical <laughs> guitarists with the asterisks in there. <laughs> Yeah. So this, this was, uh, you know, I think I, and I've worked with several different guitar, uh, groups of guitarists, um, over the course of putting these pieces together and, you know, and some of them are, are ready to like, really like digging in and, and other times, you know, it's, it's like takes them out of their comfort zone, you know, but it also takes me out of my comfort zone playing softer and with the finesse, uh, they, that you were describing. So well, I have to say that uh, this, it was a real treat. And I, I, I wasn't, I, we didn't even plan on sh- uh, playing clips of, of your, of your stuff on the podcast. It just kind of, kind of happened organically. But uh, and it, what I love about it is that you were earlier in our conversation, you were talking about how you were just like the shy kid, the real nerd, uh-huh. just the introverted, awkward, but <laughs> she's a beast listen to that i mean my goodness you, oh, you're too you, kind you're too kind i'm not too kind i'm kind <laughs> but i'm not too kind no but i but i just love uh the that story of you you just found what what suits you just found that you had an opportunity to pursue and you just to your credit you made the best of it so my hat is off to you miss herbert well thank you so much and thanks for the opportunity to present this and talk about the next step of this project and a new piece that's going to come to fruition hopefully in the next uh the next year or so this new one is written by this john truett fellow correct yeah that's so that's the quartet trumpet and string like string ensemble or string orchestra a string Mm -hmm. orchestra wow it's going to be a string orchestra so 
Yeah. A and, multi-movement piece. And, and you're going to do the, like the world premiere of this. Yep. Yes, that is, that's the next step. So, uh, you know, getting the, we're working on the piece, having lots of great conversation about the directions it's going to go. And, um, and John is really amazing in how he, he, he loves to find pieces and, and ideas that have to do with the history or culture of certain areas. And of course he's, he's from New Mexico. So he's always been fascinated with, uh, the native, the native culture there. And, um, and certainly the, the flamenco, you know, Institute is there too. So he's been, you know, involved with a lot of that kind of music, but this particular piece is going to surround, uh, themes of native culture, uh, and, um, one of the, uh, the Santa Clara Pueblo um, that's in the area there. Um, and it's going to be about a, um, a woman who is, who is a, a paint known as a, a very well-known painter bringing native uh, artwork into modernism uh, during the late sixties and seventies. Her name is Helen Hardin and he's done a bunch of research into her and she's, she's like this gorgeous, like cover girl kind of woman um, from the sixties and seventies that was really well known for her modern art uh, in Albuquerque and in New Mexico, throughout New Mexico is my understanding. So the, he's chosen three of her, of her pieces for three of her uh, paintings to base the, the piece on. There's just a lot of history and a lot of kind of spirituality uh, that's mixed into it. And uh, the more I'm learning about her life, the native culture that's brought into her work and how it's going to be kind of rethought and reimagined into this piece of music. It's, it's really, it's really starting to take hold. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to, to see it to the end and, and get it to perform to a, into a performance. You brought up something way, way back before we even mentioned the word finesse. You, you, you use the word codify. And of course, an academic is going to use the word codify. It's yeah. an academic word, right? Right. But, but I think it was in the context of you were experimenting with this instrumentation. But I guess I, I, maybe the best way to put it is you're kind of bringing it into existence, like you're making it legit. Like it's one thing to experiment with something and just say, eh, let's just let's just see how this works. And if it doesn't, well, then no skin off my back. But it sounds to me like you're you're trying to make this a legit genre that other people years from now, if they're in school or something and they want to find their own little niche or their own little pond to swim in, this could be something that they would want to pursue either as a composer or as a performer. Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And we're you know, we want to make this a, a new a new expressive, you know, chamber music form. Um and, and I, I think it's really exciting to bring these two worlds of guitar and trumpet together too, uh, because what, what I've done so far, you know, the guitarists uh, that I've worked with have all been like, wow, we, we haven't done anything like this. This is really exciting. And, uh, you know, and I think on the trumpet side, you know, I, you just get to a point where, you know, everything is trumpet and piano, trumpet and piano, trumpet and piano, or trumpet, unaccompanied trumpet, unaccompanied, you know, and I, and so I was really, really wanting to bring in kind of a new medium and, and, you know, the quartet 
allows a composer to explore so many different sounds and so many different textures and, um, you know, and, and especially like for this new piece, you know, John and I are talking about, you know, using some kind of extended techniques, you know, that, um, that will help to kind of balance out the guitar and trumpet volume level, but also just make it, you know, more interesting to listen to, I hope. And, um, so there's just a lot, a lot more things you can do and a lot more, you know, ideas you can bring to the table that are different. Well, I mean, I'm, I wonder if, because I've done concerts of my own, when, it, when it's just trumpet and piano, it's just a logistical nightmare. Like, you can't travel with a piano. Right. Like, you can travel with an electric piano, but that's, that's just not the same. If you want to have a real piano and do it right, you can't travel with a piano. So you're always dependent on location you're going to. Do they have a piano? What's it like? There's so many variables and it just seems to me like if this were to take root, a trumpeter and a guitarist could hit the road in a single vehicle and go on tour. Yep. And there you there you have a classical ensemble. Or a van, you know, for all four. Or a van. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm saying if it's one but if it's one guitar with proper and tasteful ampli- amplification, it could work. Mm-hmm. Huh. Precisely. Well, all these Ideas are flowing to my head, and Sarah's already thought of it. So she's she's <laughs> way ahead of the curve. She's the trailblazer. You are a genuine trailblazer. I'm trying. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers were, you know, <laughs> they, they are kind of in my background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little different. I don't totally, think any of, totally went the other way with that. Yeah, those people are trying to get IP on their basketball moves. That's not the same. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to trademark their pivot, whatever that yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, so <laughs> totally different. <laughs> very, very different. Nothing original about those guys. With all due respect, they're fine athletes. Some of them are decent people. Some. Some. But the sum of all fears. Well, we have nothing to fear because Sarah Herbert has blazing a new trail for trumpeters and guitarists, composers, and we have, I've just been uh, enthralled with this conversation and the audio clips that we've heard of the uh, concertino, Prinzo Pesa, and then the Fin de Fiesta. Now, is that spelled F-I-N-E? Uh, F-I-N. F-I-N de Fiesta by John Truett. Yep. All right. Well, I would love to do a round two once this, um, once this new work comes comes about. Maybe we can yes. listen to uh, a, a clip of the world premiere at whatever fine concert hall is available for you guys. But uh, until then, I'm so glad that this interview finally worked out. We've been working on the scheduling, and I've switched con- continents all the while we were working <laughs> on the scheduling. And uh, here we are, and it worked out very nicely. So yes. I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. This is a real pleasure and to share share all this with you. And it's just such an honor too. So thank you for asking me to be on the show. Well, thanks for pressing play on today's episode. Make sure you press that little subscribe button on your podcast player if you haven't already, so you'll never miss an episode when they publish. And if you want to dive deeper, you can visit me on the web at jamesnewcombontrumpet.com, where you'll find ways to connect with me via social media and even a customized mobile app. 
that has a plethora of material I think you'll find interesting. Again, that's James Newcomb on Trumpet.com. This is James Newcomb signing off.